but what seemed a long time to them was a matter of seconds only. The tiger's great frame went limp and sank into the ground, and the man rose and put a foot upon it, and raising his face to the heavens, voiced a horrid cry, the victory cry of the arch-ape. And everyone was shocked. Shrimp's jaws dropped. Idak Johnny Y. Weismuller, he demanded. <laughs> fantastic. Atu, Barada, Nikto. Show you who I am and what I am. Buy a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes, and bad jokes, as we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. Hey everybody, welcome again to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. This is the 11th episode. It is the 11th episode. We are slowly but surely, uh, little by little, working our way through the season. Me and William have kind of decided to do kind of 20 episodes roundabout. Yeah. It might be slightly under or over, but who even knows? We're just going to get through, go to Visible Man, and then and de- get done. Yeah, yeah. The The episode we're doing is about Tarzan the Ape Man, 1932. After yes. all, as again, for people who don't know, we're going to be in movies that were 1932 and 33 for the rest of this season. Pretty cool. There was just all sorts of movies that came out around then, all influential in their own right. And uh, this one is very influential while white white zombie was kind of like the great granddaddy of zombies, this is like not even that. This movie invented everything we know about Tarzan, and he's just so popular that it's so hard to be able to condense him down into a format. So that's why we're probably going to take a bird's eye view of all of it. But yeah, this is this is a very famous character of Tarzan created by Edgar Rice Burroughs. I think the first book called Tarzan of the Apes didn't that come out in nineteen nineteen. It was early in the 1900s, and Edgar Rice Burroughs was still alive at the time of, of the making of this movie. Maybe. But uh, for people who don't know who Tarzan is, and it's like, what kind of a person is he? We're going to play a clip of our backyard friends, the backyard again, <laughs> singing a song about Tarzan's aspects. And uh, we'll play that here. I'm Tarzan, I'm Tarzan, Tarzan the animal guy. I live deep in the jungle with the bugs and the beasts and the birds. I understand their noises and they understand my words. Oh, you're Tarzan, aren't you? Hey, Pablo, I certainly am Tarzan. I can tell because I'm Tarzan too. Really? Yeah. I'm Tarzan the Very Strong. I live in the jungle, I swing on vines, and of course, I do this. Oh, I break up big boulders and grind them into sand. And he can lift an elephant in the air with just one hand. I'm faster than a cheetah and mighty as King Kong. He's old. You, Tarzan? You betcha, Austin. Meet Tarzan, too. Really? I can tell. Are you Tarzan who doesn't say too much? Ugh. 
He swings through the treetops with viney jungle pad. He only says important things, for instance, quicksand. Bah. He rarely ever bothers with nouns and birds and such. And uh, the context of that clip was that the episode is of the first season of Backyard Again. It's a really great show. Go watch it. It's called The Heart of the Jungle and where the three kids are all want to be Tarzan. One of them is Tarzan the animal guy. One of them is Tarzan the really strong. Another one is Tarzan that doesn't speak too much. <laughs> so they describe that I'm Tarzan. Tarzan the animal guy kind of thing he's all those things yes but an aspect that they did miss was that he doesn't appear in any of his movies until at least 25 minutes after the film starts i would say i haven't seen the second film on in the series but surely in the first film yeah they have to that kind of reminds me of like godzilla in the first godzilla movie godzilla doesn't fully show up until a certain amount of time in, into it. And sometimes in other movies, you don't do the big reveal until you kind of build that tension and build that, that world. I will tell you, I have seen a little bit of a movie that Tarzan was in, in this franchise, they gotta be specific about it, called Tarzan and His Adventure in New York. You see him pretty quickly within the first five minutes, so... But this is an aspect he doesn't hang around for <laughs> at the beginning for quite a lot of time, usually. You know, this first movie, they tease him, and we'll talk about that more in the plot, but they tease him a little bit, kind of mysterious, but they focus on all the other characters first, because it's kind of... They make him a mystery. So, uh, let's talk about Tarzan the Ape Man's kind of thing. There isn't, like, too much in a lot of these movies. Like, after all, these aren't, like, really great movies, but these were really popular, so, I mean... Oh, they're fun! They do have some problematic issues. Of course, anything in this time period that you have in, I'm sorry, the continent of Africa, you've got either a portrayal of African peoples who are real... And their culture. Yes. And it's very hard to not misrepresent them. Yeah, I, th I think that they didn't have the, the luxury or privilege of... What we see now uh, after the civil rights era, you know. And stuff like the Song of the South movie as well yeah. kind of does this. Th those are kind of problematic. I will tell you this, though, and I think we'll talk about this in the plot part, but they filmed, I need to find out, maybe you know about the production of this, but when they filmed this, did did they or did they not film this in America in like or, or closer closer to, to North America? Uh, Los Angeles. <laughs> They oh, filmed in Los jungle. Angeles where they were based, all the jungle, and uh, it was in fact uh, Tuca Lake. It's oh. uh, north of Los Angeles is where they did, uh, because it was not very developed area, was the place they filmed. They also used footage from a film called Trader Horn, which Van Dyke, who's the director of this movie, also directed. And uh, that had Africans in it. He used it, oh, is that where they got the footage in the in the scene that we'll talk about in the plot? And the back projection as well is very oh, obvious because yikes. they're using footage from that. Oh, well, I'll I'll go into that. Hey, but uh, my question was, I would I thought that most of the actors that do come into contact with Tarzan and the rest of the group from Britain, London, or whatever. Uh, which I guess is her father, Beamish, which is like a, another guy, and and, main, and Harry Holt. I think aren't aren't a lot of the African American people that they were probably hired for, in California in Hollywood, so they're not real Afri Africans per se. They're basically like American people. Yeah, and as we'll see, there is a tribe of Africans who of which are very obviously not African. But uh, some things I want to say about uh, the movie is that the lions in this film were actually borrowed from a nearby lion farm. 
owned by a man named Goebel. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was in called Thousand Oaks, uh, CA, which is California. California. Sure. Yeah. And uh, he would also sometimes even camp by the filming site near Lake Sherwood, <laughs> the Sherwood Forest, such a jungle. Right. Anyway, to watch the lions during filming because there's lions and he wanted to see them do cool stuff. And uh, also another thing is that, yes, as I discussed, there is a tribe of African pygmy midget guys. And uh, they're real midgets. They're just in blackface, though. And they have, like, makeup as well. They put, like, something bulbous on their head to make their heads look strange as well. Yes. Wow. There's lots of problematic stuff. Very deformed. So I would like to kind of... First off, say something, and I think we'll get to it, I'm sure, I'm sure. I wanted to get this right off the top. So I think in the past, maybe like in the 90s, and there are certain words that we used for people of smaller stature, like midget and like dwarf. And the people in that community have, have they unofficially have like, uh, and, and, you know, and some people will, who are in that community will say, well, we like other words. But the word, the, the phrase I've heard is little people. So if we could say little people from now on, that would be cool. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, when you say you win an award, you're like, I want to thank all the little people. So, I mean. That, no, no, when they say that, they mean. Lesser known people. I do think that's a little rude, too, because I think everybody plays a part in who you are as an actor or director. I don't think anybody's little. And we do not believe that dwarves are not humans in any right. They absolutely all. are. So They are humans. Yes. So uh, a couple of goofs that they do get in this movie yeah. is uh, number one, zebras, and uh, there's also some whatever they're called, antelopes yeah. as well. Do not live in jungles. That's the first thing. Oh, they're on savannah. They live, they in, live the... in plains and yeah, savannas kind of thing. Ah, also, yeah. jaguars do not live in Africa as well. South America. Uh, leopards are in Africa, but Latin America is the domain of the jaguar. Yes. So you're supposed to believe it's a leopard. Yes. Just make so believe. So why, why couldn't they get leopards? Is it just cheaper to get jaguars from South America? Yeah. And another thing is that the elephants they used were Indian elephants. Yes. Because they were tons more docile than African elephants. But their ears were smaller, so they put fake ears and tusks to make them look like African elephants. And also, they later stopped this practice in the MGM movies because they thought everyone was stupid. What? What? So they couldn't tell the difference, and so they're just like, eh, don't put them on anymore. They'll just think they're African anyway. Oh, wait, that's why I think it is in Tarzan's New York adventure that there are some baby elephants that Tarzan's adopted son is training, and their their ears are rather small. I wonder if they just were just like, these are Indian elephants. We're, we're not going to spend any money making you know fake ears anymore or fake tusks. We're done. Yeah. And uh, it's good for that, indeed. Yeah, I, I don't think those elephants liked having... You know, you know, ears are one thing. I mean, but fake tusks? Come on. Another thing is that chimpanzees were used in this movie, but apparently they're supposed to be baby gorillas. Now, baby gorillas look entirely different than chimps. I thought that they weren't actually supposed to be, but they are. So I'm like, what? Well, well, the, the, the most famous uh, chimpanzee of all in the, the Tarzan franchise, is Cheetah, played by Mr. Jiggs. Yeah, and uh, there's also some other chimpanzees that also escaped and are still living in Florida. What? As well, really? apparently. Are you kidding me? And uh, another thing is that in the book, Jane is American, 
in this film, she's British. This is how they got it in the Tarzan Disney movie, that she was British. She's supposed to be American. Plus, uh, well, she's also British in the movie. There's a movie that comes out, I think, in 1984, I think, called Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, Lord of the Apes. That's a long title. But that movie has an American woman. She could not do a British accent to save her life. She's kind of Southern. And so another actress had to dub over her, famous actress had to dub over her lines with like a British accent. And he was supposed to be a British or Scottish lord. See, that's the thing. I think that we're getting into actual character of Tarzan. I'll tell you real quick, from the book, his father and mother are going on a trip, I don't remember why, to Africa for some reason. And they are in a shipwreck, and they end up in Africa, and I think the wife dies for some reason. In one of the movies, it was malaria or something that was causing her to be delirious. And then the father is left over. They have a child, they have a baby, but for some, some kind of accident happens and the father dies, and a ape mother who has lost her own baby for some reason, she takes the, uh, the human child back into the ape commune and raises him as her own. Hopefully there wasn't an ape named Hitler because there's oh. commune. Oh no. No, commune commune is is what the communist party took. So I think you're probably confusing like with you're confusing ape Hitler with ape Stalin perhaps. But yeah, <laughs> they both have amazing mustaches. We don't like their politics but their mustaches are amazing and some other quick facts yeah. is that uh the aforementioned trader horn movie which was a it was a very popular mgm film uh it had so much footage they were dying to use it and is anywhere just elsewhere they had to use it somewhere and uh that was used in this film that's the reason yeah that's that's the reason why it looked why it doesn't match up but they don't care they're like they'll they won't i think they just go we'll just use it they'll never notice and People may have noticed, but they just didn't talk about it. Yeah, but it is African footage, after all. So uh, another thing is that the voice of Disney's Tarzan was the, the grandson of Sam Goldwyn, who was uh, one of the namesakes for MGM. It's Metro Goldwyn Mayer. I did not know that. It was, it was Tony Goldwyn. And uh, I did not know Tony Goldwyn was re related to the Goldwins of MGM. Oh, wow. That's fun. That's trivia right and there. And after all, MGM was founded by three different production people, which is uh, Metro Pictures, and there was Golden Witch Pictures, and there was Louis B. Mayer Productions. Yeah, it? Louis B. Mayer could get anything he wanted happen. I mean, if he if he was like... If somebody, you know, wanted to be a movie star, they all they had to do was just like, I'm somehow going to get in Louis B. Mayer's office and I'm going to, you know, give him my spiel and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get in pictures. Another fact is that uh, the Wakunda tribe is called the Wakanda tribe in this film, funnily enough. They then argue about if they actually said Wakanda. They did. But they did say Wakanda, and it's supposed to be Wakumba. Uh, another fact about this movie that people know for some reason is that Hitler disliked this movie. <laughs> and there was also a lot of Germans, especially in the later films, oh, like German and Slavic right. people, who got, like, attacked. Oh, no, 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 yeah. There, there, was a, there was a movie later on in the franchise called Tarzan Triumphs, and he fights Nazis. Oh, yeah, there's a line where Tarzan says... People in Africa make war to live, but you live to make war. And later on, Tarzan, he gets so mad. He's like, now Tarzan make war. 
<laughs> and he, <laughs> he 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 actually attacks tanks and stuff like that with elephants and he, he does it and there's a I don't want to go into detail on this but there's a scene at the end where there's a radio that is supposed to contact Berlin and he gets on the speaker and somebody else thinks it's Hitler talking so basically wow. I guess they're trying to stir I'm sorry the cheetah the chimpanzee it's so it's kind of a joke about you know, Hitler's a, he's making a monkey out of basically an, he's a primitive ape because it was kind of the joke. They were like thinking it was the Fuhrer. And uh, another thing I'd like to do is uh, because uh, we originally wanted to do like the whole franchise thing or at least all the MGM movies because there's so many MGM and RKO combined. We can't just do all that. And uh, we couldn't do the MGM saga entirely. So we decided to do just this movie and uh Dad did watch New York Adventure, though. I have not watched any of the other movies, but I will. Uh, we will sum up the plot later, and I will sum up their production kind of thing here as well before we get into the plot. I will tell you, this is, you know, before you go into the production and talk about, you know, why they made it and everything, I think there is, in the second movie, which is Tarzan and his mate, they were, again, these are, these are uh, pre-Haze Code. So there was a scene. Yeah, you know, Jane Jane was with Tarzan, and they were in the lake. They're and, swimming. You know, it was her birthday, and she decided to wear the clothes that she wore on a birthday. So, I mean. Although, I will tell you this. I think maybe because the swimming was acrobatic that it was a stand-in, and it was far enough away, I think. That you could just do a tan skin tight suit kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, well, you know, it was a, it was a stand-in. It was it was. But the thing is that that was that was pre haze code, and that's why we you know we kind of couldn't do that one because it, it kind of skirts the rating system. The third one uh, has a couple scenes with African uh, women without shirts on, and you know. But I think some of the other ones you know further on, especially when you get closer to the forties, they're after the haze code, so you see a little bit of the differences. Yeah, go- and that's going a forward. good thing. That's yeah. a very good thing. I mean, they were trying to do the Hayes Code, like, in the 1930s, like, starting with, like, 1931-32, but they couldn't do it successfully until it finally got a hold of every single production company of motion pictures uh, in 1937-38. So that's when the Hayes Code, we say, came into effect. So, uh, Tarzan and his mates. This, I can't tell what this, this doesn't make sense because it's like one place in the paragraph it says, this picture obtained $2 million in box office, and another place it says it didn't make that much money in box office, so I'm like, well, was that the money that, like, their budget, or does just some doesn't add uh, up Well, here? I will tell you, if you look at, if you look at other films in the franchise uh, going forward, um, I refer to this as the MGM RKO part of the franchise because it starred honestly this is the guy i think of when i think of tarzan because i saw these movies when i was younger the rko ones well i i well i saw some of the later mgm ones and the rko ones i didn't know who they were made by when i was younger but they would come on a channel that is i mean it's no longer around anymore i think they have their own streaming service now but it was turner classic movies and it was so great uh i wish it was still around uh, because they... There's some appreciation that we can have for these films. I will tell you this right now. I'm going to do a little tell you a little side, take a small side trip, I promise. Uh, Turner Classic Movies, or TCM, was where I was exposed to a lot of older movies, you know, like from Hitchcock, uh, Alfred Hitchcock, the Universal Monster movies, 
or some of the 1950s stuff, or some of the stuff from the 30s and 40s, James Cagney movies. That's where I saw Man of a Thousand Faces, which was about Lon Chaney, that had James Cagney. I saw that there. Uh, it was a great cable channel, and my mom used to like watching old movies there too when it was on, and so we would we would watch that. And they also had, during the times of Halloween, they would show a lot of these scary movies, like The Wolfman and Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein. It, it was fantastic. You'd watch them all for free. It was great. You Hunchback, whatever. Uh, I think I saw The Hunchback with uh, Charles Lawton. I've seen Charles Lawton. You're going to see him in the next movie we're going to do, but I won't tell you anything more than that. Uh, Charles Lawton is just chef's kiss great. I... I think he's excellent. Anyway, moving on. Um, over the production of this movie, at first, like it was halted because they did not have enough money due to so much extra footage that they had taken. They did not have any more money. So then they got back to it again, but then a couple of mishaps happened where they're like, Halt, you miscasted, in quotations. So the director and some other actors were switched out due to this miscasting. <laughs> and people ended up confused over who was actually the director a lot okay, of time, or some people. you're kind of confusing me when you say you're saying miscasting, like, with air quotes. And I would like you to explain, do you know what that means? Why are you saying it like that, miscasting? Because that's what it said, it is in quotations. <laughs> yeah, but that doesn't... I don't it doesn't, really know. It doesn't explain what that means? Okay, uh, that makes it even more mysterious to me. So they filmed a lot of extra footage and... They weren't planning on editing it down. Was it was it originally a longer film? Well, I'll t talk about this slightly more later. But yes, they did eventually edit some stuff out. But they just had so much footage they went bankrupt, or not like bankrupt. Sorry, they just I mean that yeah. they did not have much money, and so then. But the film eventually did get out. They let that camera run. I mean, yeah, there was just so much extra film and retakes and shots that 17 minutes were cut out of the final film. That's not. That's that's true. That's not bad. 17 actually. minutes. That's not bad. But it's a huge amount of footage. If what we got was an hour and 40 minutes, right, and 17 minutes was cut out. That's not that much comparison. I've seen other situations where they said an hour of footage had been cut out. But yeah, even like 10 minutes can like cut quite a bit out of a movie. That's not too bad. Actually, that uh, I'll, I'll tell you right now, there are unedited cuts of movies that have like 30, 40 extra minutes. So, I mean, they may have... Film was expensive. So if you sit there and you run, if you do that many takes, you know, when, when film, you know, was, was a little cheaper... And they were able to get, I think, further on into the 40s, 50s, 60s. There are lots of directors who would ask for many, 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 many takes, and uh, and that did. And because they're such a creative force, the the movie studio would be like, okay, fine. You know, we know that he's he makes really high quality movies, so if he wants to do 100 takes, he can do it. So I think they kind of eat the cost a little bit when it comes to to takes. But early on in this period, in the 30s. Uh, they couldn't do too many takes. They were like, okay, cut it. Yeah. Print, cut, print, we got it. But, uh, again, this movie was very controversial, but it also happened to be preserved by the government. It is preserved by the government. I will tell you, there's a film industry deal, you know, preservation group within the government, and the reason they created this is because there are some films that are considered uh, historically significant. You know, I mean, movies like, you know, Frankenstein and, and also some of the older movies that we mentioned uh, we, that we've seen like uh, 
Nosferatu and things like that, there are certain groups and certain governmental agencies that have chosen them as important to history. And they and so they've actually spent m- much more time trying to restore them and they made it a project. So I'm very thankful you know, for them considering these things to be works of art. I mean, uh, either historical significance or, or artistic significance. I'm glad they restore these things. And so uh, Tarzan escapes. Um, some things about this movie is that uh, there's a guy named McKay, who uh, he was the previous animal director of the previous movie, and I think maybe the uh, the first one as well. And uh, he was an initially given director uh, for this film because they were so happy with his work in the previous, but... Uh, Richard Thorpe got final credit for the directing, so it probably went to him. And uh, actor John Farrow also shot the entire film. So, who who was director again? Right. <laughs> and uh, another thing is that a scene was deleted of Tarzan fighting a vampire bat because it was too <laughs> intense. Right. Although, in a way, I think it probably was really goofy. Yeah. Because how big would that vampire bat have to be for it to be awesome? He'd have to be the size of a man. So, But if he's not, and he's the size of a regular vampire bat, because they're actually small. I don't know if you've ever seen them in real life. They're kind of small. So seeing Tarzan wrestle around with a you know a tiny bat on a string, I, I guess I'm just like, okay. I mean, he hated Dracula so much, I guess. Oh, Tar- Tarzan versus Dracula is a movie I would pay to see. Yeah, we have to have Abbott and Costello meet Dracula and Tarzan. Oh, my goodness. In fact, they actually do that, don't they? There, There is a Abbott and Costello movie called Africa Screams. I don't think it actually has Tarzan in it. I can't say I haven't seen it. It's a, uh, it's findable. You could probably find but it But if somewhere. we do see Dracula and Tarzan together, we can say that we were right when we get to Abbott and Costello meet Dracula. I don't think it, Tarzan is in Abbott and Costello meet. It might have been an SNL short, actually, or just yes. some sort of short well, that I, they put Tarzan and Dracula No, together. no, it, it was Tarzan and Frankenstein. Because they both are, uh. they both, it was Tonto from uh, from Lone Ranger, and it was Frankenstein, and it was Tarzan. Yeah, they did a thing where they said, uh, now we are going to have a reading of Edgar Allan Poe's The Raven by Tonto, Frankenstein, and Tarzan. And he went, <laughs> just, okay, I cannot do it justice. Just see if you can look it up on YouTube. Uh, it's Tarzan, Tonto, and Frankenstein. Uh, SNL, and I'm sure it's in there. It's it's pretty funny. Yeah. So Tarzan finds a son. Um, yes. Some things I could say was this film. Uh, the filming of this was delayed three years due to needing to get licenses again because they it expired for the previous movie. Because they're like, we're done, we're done. But they actually weren't with the trilogy. So there's a fourth movie. The film was originally called Tarzan in Exile. Apparently, the choice of having them adopt the son in the first place, while it was called Tarzan in Exile, was to satisfy those upset with the two not being married due to, you know, things that go on in the second film. Exactly. So they were like, uh, we've got to get them a kid, but we can't hint that they are doing anything married couples do. So we're going to have them adopt a, a, ch- a young child. And Jane is was going to die. That's quite literally a fact. Apparently... She was going to die in that film and be replaced by boy. Uh, well, yeah, well, that's that's the really creatively named young child. His name is Boy, which kind of makes it interesting in the later movie Tarzan Adventure in New York, where Boy, I'm sorry, Boy with a capital B, when he is kidnapped and taken to America 
and they they say boy so many times you're gonna think it's like uh god of war yes god of war <laughs> he says boy so is many it, times is it number it's god of war like considered the fourth game you're the game yeah expert. because there was um there was a PS3 one. It's the one where he's fighting, uh, fighting Viking gods or Scandinavian. He's fighting Ares. Nor- Norse god. Norse god. It's when he's fighting Norse gods, and, and uh, Ares as well. Yeah. Well, the, he does. This is later after that, and I, th- I don't know when which one he has where the boy actually shows up, but he says "boy" a lot. Uh, it's infamous. So, uh, no, no. This boy, this boy is called Boy, and they're saying "boy." We're looking for Boy. We look for Boy, and they're like, and people in America are like, uh, "Yeah, what?" You gotta be more specific than that. A boy, come on. Yeah. So people didn't like that Jane was going to die and be replaced. So then that was changed. And another thing that the boy was taught to swim by Tarzan's actor Johnny we- uh, Weissmuller, and uh, he actually taught boy to swim on set. So that's really heartwarming. Yeah. And uh, the film also earned a good old one million dollars, just like the first one. <laughs> Even though you think that they're bad, they've got so much buku bucks, man. Now let's let's talk about that for a second. Now I believe you may have to check the box office receipts on this, but I believe a lot of the money that these films made, they did pretty well, you know, in, in their first run. I think when they went on VHS. People rented these a lot. I mean, they're they're awesome uh, adventure movies, and I wonder if a lot of people that were around were, were little kids when these movies came out, and they got older, and they came out on VHS that that they rented them a lot. I think I think if you look at it, it has a little parentheses. It says rentals. So how much of it was during the time when the movie came out? And how much of it was the rentals? Who's to tell? But they're profitable. That's all we need to say about that. So Tarzan's New York Adventure. Two things I can say about that is that apparently Johnny Weiss, Weissmuller, he said he did a stunt where he jumped off the uh, the Brooklyn Bridge in the movie. But the people who made the film said this was actually just a dummy. So I don't know if it's actually proven, but <laughs> I would have liked to see him do his own stunt. He's done his own stunts before and like riding elephants and rhinos and stuff. Actually, and as and as of course, as you will say soon, he is a Olympic uh, medalist. So, uh, to begin the cast off, we're going to talk about the director, which is W. S. Van Dyke. Not to be confused with Dick Van Dyke. No, of course not. The famous sitcom person, kind of thing. Or the goatee, the guy who came up with the Van Dyke goatee, which is that's completely <laughs> that's a different guy altogether. So, uh. This dude got two Academy Award nominations for Best Director for the the Thin Man movie series and uh, San Francisco. And he also, um, it says he directed four actors to Oscar nominations. That does not make grammatical sense, so I'll just say that he tutored them. No, I will tell you what that means is that he directed some movies that had Oscar-winning performances in them. Ah. That's what that means. Oh, by the way, the Thin Man series is very well done. It is not necessarily about a guy who's actually super thin. It's just uh, a... A thin crook. No, he, he's a, it's a detective uh, kind of series. He's kind of a... He's known as the Thin Man. So go go ahead. Um. So these four are William Powell, 
uh, Norma Shearer, mm-hmm. Robert Morley, and a guy named Spencer Tracy. Spencer Tracy. I that does ring a bell, but I don't know who what and what he did. Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde in nineteen forty three, which we're going to do. Oh, he directed that movie. No, he's in it. Ah. He plays Doctor Jekyll. Ooh, that's cool. I will tell you this: uh, Spencer Tracy is very well known for what are called screwball comedies. Uh, they are uh, just entirely very wacky. They're well. They're sli- they use a lot of uh, strange, goofy situations. They they use a lot of wordplay. Uh, he was in a he, uh, he was with Catherine Hepburn in a lot of movies. That that's one thing I do remember. He was in other, you know, dramatic roles. But I'm sorry, that's when I think of Spencer Tracy, I think of him and Catherine Hepburn kind of trading barbs against each other, kind of uh, verbal wordplay. But anyway, go ahead. So uh, since this dude was known as a very reliable craftsman and he made his films on schedule, under budget commonly, he earned his name One Take Dyke for his quick and efficient style of filming. That he developed this directing tons of silent films. That was, he directed tons of those. He also directed the Oscar-winning classic that's funnily called Eskimo Wife Traders. Uh, okay. What? Okay. Okay. In which he also had a featured acting role. And uh, he was also known for allowing ad-libbing that kept in the film. He kept it in the film. And for coaxing natural performances from his actors. That's good. To ad-lib. That's good. Uh, if it's done right, then that's good. Like, for instance, you know, the Iron Man, Spider-Man hugging scene. That That's great ad-libbing kind of thing. But if it's not done well, then... It's awkward and and it's awkward cheesy, yeah. Yeah, you can tell. You can tell it has, it has a certain feel to it. And he was also often called in to work a few days or more uncredited on another film that was in trouble or had gone over production schedule. So he was just that good as like, you will we'll bring this guy over and they'll whip these boys into shape. He's a ringer. He's a, he's he's one of those he's one of those guys that you pull in to to get get the job done. And this dude is also known for being very patriotic. Also, prior to World War II, he set up a Marine Corps Reserve uh, recruiting office in his own office at MGM because he was a major. He was a captain, and then he became a major through upgrading. Promotions, you mean? His <laughs> promotions? Yeah. And his rank of major often showed up in his later film credits because he was a major, and he was proud of it. He was influential in encouraging other MGM stars to join the military during the early days of war. And uh, including wow. people such as Clark Gable, James Stewart, and Robert Taylor. Don't know those dudes. Yeah. But wait, wait, wait. Uh, Clark, he was just uh, very patriotic. Clark Gable was in a very famous movie, Oscar-winning movie called uh, Gone with the Wind. Ah, oh, Gone with the Wind. That's cool. If you see him, he has a very like a pencil-thin mustache. It's very recognizable. James Stewart? You know him because, uh, uh, oh my goodness, you're going to hate me for this, but uh, It's a Wonderful Life. He was the main character, and he he talks like this. Uh, yeah, well, Mary, what what we've got here is uh, such a <laughs> I can't do a good imitation. A wonderful life. Anyway, so we have uh, some people who've had tragic lives during their later years, and uh, so this one is really tragic. Get prepared. So uh, the last movie that he directed is called Journey for Margaret. Came out in 1942. And uh, he directed this one despite having cancer. Oh, no. So he was just down terrible. And he was so ill that this is so tragic. He, after directing the, the final scenes for this movie, 
He said his goodbyes then and there to his family, and then he went over to a nearby bridge or something and committed a dentum mortis sudoku. Oh, no, okay, he, he deleted himself, yeah. Yeah. That's so tragic. He was just so ill and just in pain that he just didn't want, he didn't to, want to live continue anymore. existing. That's tragic. That is tragic. This dude had incredible life and lots of ups and downs. A lot of other people we're going to talk about also kind of got down in the dumps later in their life or just got cancer or heart attack. Yeah, that happens a lot uh, with a lot of these actors, you know. I mean, they didn't, you know, they didn't die in a blaze of bullets, you know, doing a robbery or something. I mean, they... <laughs> he died from his own spirit being so crushed oh. by sickness and disease. Yeah. He was just like, peace out, man. Yeah. That's just terrible. So, uh, he was the director. So, who are the other... He was the producer. Um, Irving Thalberg was the producer. Yes. One thing was that he produced with Lemley, Hunchback of Notre Dame, which was uh, Lon Chaney's Limelight. And uh, he also helped make MGM, was a head for a while as well. So he was assistant of He was a good producer. Yeah, he, he, could, he could get funding. And he was also on Trader Horn as well, along with Van Dyke, probably how they met as well as, you know, being an yeah, MGM. Yeah, yeah, that thing. they were like, we, we, did, we did well together before, and it was an Africa-based picture. So let's do it again, Irving. So why not? So uh, we have Marina Sullivan. She was Jane Parker. In uh, 2020, she was also she was listed as number eight for the Irish Times list of Ireland's greatest film actors. She was Irish. Yes. Although she's supposed to be British, so maybe it's even still she's supposed to be American, but is not. So now wait a minute. One there's one thing that I will mention in the book. I believe it's Porter, not Parker. Yeah. But they did do Parker for the movies. For some but reason. this was fixed in the Disney Tarzan. She was Jane Porter. That's in that one. that's true. Also, I think also in in uh, Greystoke <laughs> the, that long title Greystoke. I think it, it is it is Jane Porter in that too. So, but yeah, go ahead. She she played Jane Parker, and also she early in her film career she was like she was a 20th century Fox actor. She was with Fox on a ton of movies. That's <laughs> there's so many movies. Um, well, the overall, there's it's not as ton of movies compared to a lot of people we're gonna see. Just sometimes they just have so much movies, and so uh, she overall bounced everywhere from people to people. You know, Paramount kind of thing. Paramount Universal. I don't think she did Universal, but she might have. So she did. She didn't. She didn't sign a uh, sign away her existence to a particular studio. She just. She was. She did. She signed her her, her will to MGM. Eventually, that's yeah. Where she, that's where she stayed for a while. And uh, she also, uh, as with a couple of the people we're going to talk about, she had a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yeah. Um, alongside Weissmuller as well, um, because they were both very great and remembered for this movie. They were, con- they, they were connected together because of that, yeah. And so she died from complications due to heart surgery. So she, the heart surgery wasn't successful. Oh, my goodness, and yeah. stuff. So and she eventually died. That's I tragic. will tell you about her portrayal of Jane. I think there's a couple of a handful of the movies where she is not there in the movies, and the excuse they give is that she's working for the British war effort in England. <laughs> but when she does come back, she's a very nice girl. That yeah, she is, and and she's very sweet, and she's just like 
Uh, what am I going to do with you, Tarzan? She's gr- she's great with Johnny. I mean, uh, Johnny Weissmuller's Tarzan. They they play off each other so well, and she's great. She's great with Cheetah and and Boy. It's just it's it's very iconic. They did replace her for I think one movie with uh, Brenda Joyce, who I don't know a lot about, but I know that she may have had lighter hair than than Marino Sullivan. Oh yeah, wasn't she was probably the stunt double for the the famous birthday suit swimming scene. I don't remember, but regardless. Yeah, I think so. So uh, next we have Neil Hamilton as Harry Holt. And uh, tell him who he's best remembered for, Father. He is best remembered, and I remember him. And I and I was like, who is that guy? I'd know him from somewhere. He is uh, Commissioner James Gordon on the 1960s uh, Batman series. He was always calling Batman on this red phone with one button on it. And, uh, you know, when something bad would happen, whether the Joker would be doing some kind of caper or the Riddler had, you know, had left a, a message telling about his next crime, Commissioner Gordon would press that red button uh, on that phone and call And by call that Bruce time, Wayne. he was extremely old, so he looked the way he did in that movie. There's going to be a ton of people we talk about as well who are just like, these are the when they were young. Like, they used to be, like, old and stuff. Uh, the next one we're going to talk about was also kind of like that way, which is Doris Lloyd as Mrs. Cutton. Now, I don't remember this character that much. I don't think it was her, uh, Jane's mother, of course. Jane's mother, <laughs> she was fairly annoying in this movie. She's like, yeah, you know, darling, I gotta do this, you know, darling, yeah, 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 and, like, stuff. I wonder if that was her mother or there was another lady there. I couldn't tell. She was very dis- dismissive of that lady. She's perhaps best known for her roles in Sound of Music, hmm. which is one we're not doing, and The Time Machine, 1960, which we, we are Which doing. we are doing. Uh, also, by the way, we are going to do the film version it's called Batman the Movie. Uh, it came out in the 1960s. Uh, that has Commissioner Gordon in it as Neil, Neil Hamilton. As Neil Hamilton? Yeah. Cool. And so uh, Forrester Harvey is beamish, and uh, we don't have much for him is, except that he is in The Invisible Man. He's a tavern owner, and he's also in The Wolfman as well. Wow. And uh, Some universal work, I guess. And reportedly here, I quote, a number of reference works incorrectly identify him as having played Little Maria's father in Frankenstein. Right. No, that's not that's not him. So uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of other people who were in other movies as well. Yeah. Um, starting with Johnny Sheffield as Boy. As Boy! He had a very great relationship with Johnny Weissmuller, and uh, he was a child star in 1938, and he was only five when he auditioned for Boy because he was in a magazine because it says, you got a kid that looks like Tarzan Jr. and acts like Tarzan Jr.? <laughs> well, then come right up, and it's just like he saw his father saw an ad in the, the MGM put out when they were going to make this movie and uh, brought him to audition, and then he got the role. Yeah. Very sweet. And uh, he continued to be boy along Vice Muller and O'Sullivan, even in the RKO movies. So that continued for a while. There's like so many RKO movies that it's just not a joke. There's like 11 or 12 total MGM and RKO movies. This is just so popular. That have Vice Muller in it. Yeah. Also, when he was 18, he starred in Bomba the Jungle Boy. 
which was a movie series serial kind of thing. Or it also had an adventure book series as well. It did. I ha- I, 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 I haven't read those yet, but I know where to get them. You know, George of the Jungle kind of thing before George of the Jungle kind of thing. Oh, George of the Jungle was just a, is, is honestly a, a comedic copy off of Tarzan. It just is. So when he was 79, he fell off a ladder. And uh, uh, reportedly he was fine. He wasn't that injured at all. But he died from a heart attack right after. That's what? tragic. Oh, my goodness. These people are just have kind of tragic deaths, but not as much as the director, man. Yeah, that that's kind of depressing. Let's let's move on. Um, I wanted to also talk about one thing was the villain of Finds a Void, or at least one of them. There's Medford and Vondermeer, I think, are the villains, as far as I know. Uh, Medford was played by Tom Conway, and uh, he was known for, for playing Private Eyes in, you know, the classic style movie. And uh, he was also in 101 Dalmatians as the voice of the game show host uh, on the TV. And he also, his life ended in so much tragedy. Like, he was just down in the dumps, broke, drunk, and just absolutely done. And he couldn't afford his doctor, His he couldn't pay his doctor, so he just died. Oh my goodness. Man. So, also, for New York Adventure, we have a couple of people who I thought were kind of interesting. Uh, Paul Kelly, he's Jimmy Shields, who was a pilot. And uh, before he did this movie, there was a controversy uh, with him. You want to talk about that? Um, I don't know any controversy about that. <laughs> um, so Do you? Um, there was one day, he was drunk, and then there was another dude who they had competition over. You know, there was an affair and stuff involved both of them and another woman. And it, there was they were both drunk, and the dude, he was bigger than that other dude, uh... Paul Kelly just slapped that guy right in the face, and he was dead. So then wow. he got in the trial for manslaughter, and you sure he what? You sure he wasn't in a trial for manslapper? <laughs> well, it's death by slaps technically. So oh, let's the let's uh, you know you know you can kill a person by slapping them. Or the person that slaps can can end their career. Yeah, I guess he liked his cut, G. Yeah, that happened recently. Uh, I I won't say who, but somebody slapped somebody else. They were both famous actors, and uh, it ended their careers. One of them, yeah, their careers are probably pretty rough right now. So to cut this story short, the they got ten years in prison. Uh, him and his wife, uh, as well, uh, got two years in prison. Uh, for felony, uh, felony conspiracy, like just cover up kind of thing, because she was like, I don't know this man, I didn't have any relationship with him, but this is false. So they got out after 19 months on parole on condition that Paul Kelly must never marry for 20 months and that his work pay must be limited severely. So he only got $25 a week. Man, I think this this podcast, in some ways, if we don't watch it, it's going to turn into a true crime podcast. And uh, I don't know those true crime podcasts; they do get a lot of views. <laughs> but honestly, I like to focus on the work that the actors do before they screw it up by by, by slapping someone to death. And uh, there was also two people I thought their names were really funny. So uh, there was a circus roundabout in this movie and uh, a roustabout. And uh, his name is Elmo Lincoln. Elmo. Just 
<laughs> Cue the Elmo. Elmo, but wait, Elmo Lincoln played Tarzan in the silent Tarzan in 1918. Yeah, he basically did only Tarzan movies. He just he did four Tarzan movies. That's his whole career. Yeah. And uh, the final guy before we get to Vice Mover is uh, a guy who goes by Chill Wills. And uh, he played Manchester Montford in this movie. And uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> his name was funny. And to sum up, Jason describes a scene in this movie where Cheetah the monkey calls Chill Wills' character and he thinks it's Jane. Yeah, again, this guy, he had a Western voice. He was a singer for a lot. He was a singer and actor. And uh, his deep Western voice was perfect for voicing the role of Francis the Talking Mule, which was a famous comedy character back then. Overall, just tons of Western movies. Just That's his whole career is Western movies. Finally, we get to Johnny Weissmuller as the famous Tarzan. Oh, I'm absolutely wrong. I I absolutely am wrong. Chill Wills is not the guy I was thinking of. Ah. Okay. Welp. <laughs> That's all right. You just had to give it a second thought. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'll have, you know, keep going uh, and after we talk about Johnny Weissmuller, I'll tell you who the actor was who I was thinking of. I I totally got them mixed up, but you'll be fine. All right. So this dude as well as Tarzan as a icon, very famous dude, and he did a lot of good things. This guy has a very huge backstory. So, um, first of all, he was a Olympic competitive swimming person, and uh, he was in the Olympics. He won five gold medals, and he won the 1,000-meter freestyle and the 4x20-meter relay race event at the Paris Games and the Amsterdam Games as well. And he's just overall, he was one of the best competitive swimming records ever. He had those just on par like just completely so uh he also won a bronze medal in the water polo competition that was in paris uh water polo uh, i wouldn't choose that as my first or second or fifth choice but whatever uh for an olympics so uh he learned his love of swimming in uh lake michigan uh like the the beach in chicago that's where he lived uh, that's where he learned, and he was so good, he entered and won so many races. And, and when he was 11, he lied uh, to the people to join the YMCA. So he got in there early because they required them being 12. But he's like, I'm close enough. I get to... <laughs> he won every swimming race he entered. He excelled at running, high jumping, and he did all that stuff. And before long, he was on one of the best swim teams in the country. And his first film was the non-speaking role of Adam in the movie Glorifying the American Girl. In this movie, he's famous for appearing wearing only an enormous fig leaf while hoisting Mary Eaton on his shoulders in the movie poster, as well as the movie. So he, so in a way, he's kind of... This is how they found him, because he looks so much like Tarzan that they're just like, this dude... There was there was somebody who noticed him uh, later on swimming, and they were like, oh, that, that looks great. But honestly, it, it, it isn't really him doing a test, you know, to see what Tarzan... But honestly, you could look at that and go, okay, he's playing Adam, the first man. No, that's it's not the first man. He's just Adam is his name of the character. That's... <laughs> I, uh, I no, that... it's it's a movie called Glorifying the American Girl. 
it's not the it, it's not the it's not the Genesis story. I, I don't think it's the Genesis story, but I think honestly it may have been a little skit because sometimes in these movies they have little musical parts or you know I think it because the fig leaf. Remember uh, Adam in the book of Genesis. He was covered with a fig leaf after he had eaten the fruit of the tree of our knowledge of good and evil, and he had to wear a fig leaf. So I think it might be without knowing the plot of that, we'll just we'll just have to agree to disagree on who, who we think uh, Adam Adam is. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure that you're wrong. Anyway, um, at the time he was advertising underwear for a company that I did not see the name of BVD. because I didn't put it down. BVD. BVD. And uh, in order to get MGM to get him, they had to swap him for some of their other actors of this movie and some of their employees as well to advertise their underwear as well. That's funny. Yeah, he he they, he said he got he got some other actors to be you know, models for BVD, and then that kind of got him off the hook so he could be in Tarzan. And uh, he was also in the film Jungle Jim as well. That's J I M because it's a name, yes. not a gym, no. as in the place where you work out and you get sweaty, bro. You get sweaty, bro. He did that after he got done with the Tarzan movies, and this one uh, wore significantly a lot more clothes, and he was more of a he could use his. His normal accent, his normal voice, you know, kind of, he was kind of a safari kind of adventurer and explorer kind of guy. And also a guy that did not wear anything but underwear most of the movies that he did. Right. So also he saved many people's lives over the course of his life as well. So one time in 1927, he was training for the Chicago Marathon uh-huh. and he saved 11 people from drowning after an accident with their boat. <laughs> in Chicago, so he was just a lifeguard kind of character there, and uh, lots of philanthropy kind of thing. He's Aquaman. He just he's Aquaman. I mean, he's <laughs> there is no. I'm telling you, this dude can even get a Tarzan yell while being submerged in water. Exactly. So don't treat it as a goof of this movie. By the way, that's what happens in this movie. So uh, in, instead, treat it as he's just that good. <laughs> yeah. No. No. But nobody can beat this guy. 1977. He broke his hip and leg, and uh, followed by strokes and death by pulmonary edema at 79. Uh, edema. So that's the way, it, edema, yeah. that's how he went. So it's basically like getting liquid in your lungs yeah. caught in there, so you just die by suffocation. And and how terrible is it to be such an amazing swimmer and, and have a physique like that and be healthy, you know, uh... And because I mean, he was healthy. No, I mean, I mean, but when he but when he broke his hip and his leg, I mean, you can't really swim after that. And so, you know, there's something that you lose, I think, when you can't do that, those things that you love so much. Yeah, but he was a health fanatic, in fact, and he lived that kind of lifestyle even still. But it's really sad. And he was even honored by a 21 gun salute, which is a Big honor. And it was arranged by President Reagan. Goodness. So they gave him a full-on salute, and they fired all sorts of guns in the sky, and it was just fireworks. But his funeral, though, his funeral, though, did not have a whole lot of people there. I wonder if it was because they, you know, they did not want to uh, have too many people there. I think that, didn't they bury him in, in Acapulco in Mexico? Um, Mexico? I don't know. He loved Acapulco, Mexico so much, and probably, I mean, they have a lot of cliffs to dive off of too but i think that's where he might be buried and also in the last tarzan movie uh edgar rice burroughs himself even tributed to him for his powerful screen persona and he was just a really great icon 
And uh, this is the last paragraph of the last Tarzan novel. It says, But what seemed a long time to them was a matter of seconds only. The tiger's great frame went limp and sank into the ground. And the man rose and put a foot upon it, and raising his face to the heavens, voiced a horrid cry, the victory cry of the arch-ape. And everyone was shocked. Suddenly, recognition lit the eyes of Jerry Lucas. John Clayton, he said, Lord Greystroke, Tarzan of the Apes. Shrimp's jaws dropped. Is that Johnny Y. Weissmuller? He demanded. <laughs> and uh, that's where he said his name. That's his tribute. And uh, Tarzan shook his head as though to clear his brain. His thin veneer of civilization had been consumed by the fires of battle. And that's where it ends. So he was attributed to. And uh, the actor's name got in Tarzan. That's That's amazing. And that's all I have of him. Yeah, um, and also as a side note, before we continue, uh, the actor who I was actually thinking about was Mantan Moreland. He uh, was, if you watched the New York Adventure, uh, you'll know who I'm talking about. But I haven't watched any of the movies, so if there was an actor or a character whom I missed that was important and uh, to talk about, I apologize because, well, I don't know who are important characters. I think we got the main people out. I mean, you know, you got Harry Holt, you've got uh, Tarzan, you've got uh, Jane Parker. But this has been very extensive, so we'll probably go into our break. Uh, I've been trying to make sure that it's been fast, so no, that you, you did a good, you, you did excellently with that. Now, are we gonna swing on into the plot? Yes, we're gonna go swinging into the plot. And unpopular opinion, Curious George theme song is a bop. I, no one can disagree with that. It is a true bop. It doesn't matter if it's a, a a TV show for kids, and if I'm laughed at, I will proudly say that. I think it's a bob. It's two. It's two levels short of slapping, but it sure is swinging. It sure is swinging. It sure is bopping, but it's not quite slapping. But there's a lot of theme songs out there that are, and uh, so it's in good company. I I have to agree. So um, I can't think of a quote. <laughs> Uh, uh, William, break, plot, now, speak. (laughs) So welcome back to our 11th episode, Tarzan of the Apes. We've come back from break and, uh, We'll pass it along to my father to do the plot. Hopefully I wasn't too informational during the cast part because I was trying to squeeze really ambitiously all of the franchise into a single segment, and that was kind of ambitious. I did pull it off, but hopefully it wasn't boring or a slog. Well, um, as as my friend, another reviewer, Matt Essery, says, he says he respects, you know, uh, when a movie has ambition it swings for the fences it try it shoots for the moon maybe it misses uh the mark in some places but at least it tries you know and really goes for it so and that that's at least a moment that's at least a nod i i I honestly give you full respect for the ambition um because it's not an easy thing to do looking over some things but in the in the break though i think we probably will do uh another uh, Tarzan movie in the future. 
at some point. I Maybe. Haven't, figured, haven't figured out when. Haven't you know? I don't know when. I don't know how. But something's starting right now. All right, so <laughs> let's start the movie as it does start with the you know the classic MGM lion. I didn't know that it was there from thinking just the just the letters MGM. But I was like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, it's that lion production company that has the lion at the beginning as their symbol. Uh, I definitely know that, but like I didn't make the association. But they they did a pretty good job, and they popularized Tarzan for all of the globe to see. Yeah, this is our first Metro uh, Goldwyn Mayer production. Anyway, we get the MGM logo, we get the lion. Every time you see the lion, it just kind of with old movies, it kind of gets you going. You're like, uh, I'm ready. So uh, this is, of course, uh, based on the work Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs. It actually, though, isn't based on the first book. The first book is very much a origin story. And Edgar Rice Burroughs even said that he does it, the first Tarzan movie that they do, officially MGM, he didn't want it based off of a book. He wanted it to be an original story. It kind of started out as a sequel to Trader Horn. And in fact, uh, that's why Jane's father, who we'll talk about shortly, that's why he it almost seems to be like they're doing the character of Trader Horn, even though he doesn't play Trader Horn in the Trader Horn movie. But we do get the actors of the footage in yeah. the Trader Horn movie. So All right, so uh, here we go. Now, the, fir- the first scene, we get kind of a dock where or st- uh, it's a place where steamships dock, and we see African tribesmen carrying elephant tusks, which if you were doing that today, they would probably be considered poaching. Uh, but back in the day, you know, I mean, we didn't have the same laws that we did today to take care of animals the way we should. And the goal of this poaching was for the very valuable ivory, which in the is found in elephant tusks. And there's also um, whale ivory, I'm pretty sure, that's also in whales, which is whaling as well. Yeah, also they would they would get the, the oil. well, they would get the oil, whale oil. Yeah, you could, you could, de- they definitely... You know, you get a lot of that in in those. There was a lot of hunting of all sorts of creatures that nowadays we would preserve because that's, that's they true. could easily, with these poaching, go extinct. And they very nearly did with the whaling. That got so serious, man. Yeah, the only thing that saved them was uh, Kirk and Spock. <laughs> all right, we'll uh, get to that later. So, uh, but first off. And then, of course, I'll I'll point out the the moments when we get to animal scenes and kind of let you. And I had some thoughts about that as we go. So we see people getting off a boat. The camera pulls us over to James Parker General Store Trading. Um, in the book, it's James Porter, not James Parker. I think it is. Um, but anyway, uh, this is Jane's dad, right? J- Jane's dad, James. I might call him Papa Parker or Mister Parker or James Parker. Uh, interchangeably. So we also get uh, another character that he is with, uh, Harry Holt, who is played by Neil Hamilton, who, of course, as we as we mentioned in the earlier part of the episode, he is Commissioner Gordon. But that's how I knew, I knew him. But another thing is that yeah. Commissioner Gordon is old looking, but this dude is the young version. So again, to mention that is that a lot of the people that we're going to see today that we see later are much older that we see later than they are usually. I mean, 
I think that's how that how that works is time passes and people get older. I think that's to be expected. Because, I mean, for instance, we had Boris Karloff in The Grinch and uh, that did uh, The Grinch narrator. But The Grinch narrator sounds extremely old. And the reason is that it's because it's Boris Karloff, but older. A lot of people don't realize that, especially me. So well, sometimes you have to kind of you know realize that this is early on in his career. His career, uh, Neil Hamilton is his name. Neil Hamilton's career was vast. He had a lot of movies that he that he did, and also that that's kind of uh, something we already did, though. Yeah, that's right. We did talk about that. So anyway, back to the story. So uh, I, I may you know dip in and dip out of of kind of little interesting tidbits as we go because that's just how I roll. Okay. So they are talking to an old African man and they are trying to get information from him about uh, the location of a particular area called a Mutia Escarpment and it is on a on a map and the map is un- looked to be unmarked and they don't know what he's saying. Uh, I guess uh, we don't either. Yeah, he's like no 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 no. I thought that was really funny. He's just like, no, 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 I think he's saying no. I don't know. Maybe that's just my... my, At least something that begins with no. (laughs) My white privilege kind of, you know... But I don't know if they're actually doing a lot of African It's not white privilege. Well, I think it's it's my thought, you know, I'm bringing in my sensibilities to it. But I don't think they're really speaking African a lot in this either. Uh, because I think they're making up languages because honestly, they filmed a lot of this in California, or rather that there are many different dialects in Africa spoken by many different people. So that might be a different kind of dialect if they actually did do their research. But they probably okay. Made that's it a little. That's a little bit of a stretch. I would have to. I probably. I'd. I'd probably go more with made it up because it just sounds cool. Uh, because as you notice, as we get further in, you'll notice that they put certain animals together that really weren't on the same continent or in the same area. They put a lot of jungle, whereas Africa is mostly grassland and some mountainous areas and things like that, and, and not heavy jungle. Like, you know, they almost make it like South America, like the Amazon. Anyway, back to this. So Parker says, uh, uh, D- Daddy Parker, he says, it's always the same old tales. The escarpment is too sharp. It's too high. They're looking for something called the Elephant's Graveyard. And, of course, they tell Jane later what that is, and we'll talk and about that And this becomes then. a very big plot point, especially in Tarzan and his mate, upon which they go through the Elephant Graveyard and go about it. That movie, I actually thought about this a bit more, but then I realized when I was confused over the whole thing, is like, well, maybe they spent $2 million, and it wasn't good in box office because... It was less than two million dollars. I think it was uh, the first one made made a million, and I, I yes. honestly think it really was a million. The Tarzan and his mate probably also made like a million. It was definitely less than what they spent though for that movie. Yeah, well, that I, makes I, more sense. I can tell you, even if you take out the scene that would have been censored by today's standard, if you take that out, you still end up with uh, an even better sequel. I, I've heard that, and I haven't watched it, but I've heard. That it's the second movie is even better than the first, and probably because you're introducing all the characters, you've you've got you know Tarzan who will be interested, uh, will introduce it, and we got Jane and we got Cheetah, and and they're actually doing something interesting other than setting up their characters' relationship. Well, over yeah, the course yeah, of this and movie. and look, this whole movie hinges upon: Do you think that? You know, Johnny Weissmuller as Tarzan is charismatic. And hold on, I'll answer that. <laughs> and do you think that, you know, Maureen O'Sullivan as Jane is is charismatic and, and 
uh, and, and is a, a, a multifaceted character. Do you buy the fact that Johnny Wassmuller is the Lord of the Jungle? And I have to answer yes to all that. They are an adorable couple together. They really are. So much that you could say that this is a romance movie, but kind of, they don't yeah. really say that. But I think of it as a romance movie. Yeah, it does evolve over the many, many movies that MGM and Arkea do. They do become more of a, an adventuring power couple. It's less about Jane being a damsel in distress, because she can handle herself, but there's some things that she's out of her element on. And, that's, and so she's like, oh, Tarzan, what am I going to do with you? And that's literally yeah. how she talked. But. Yes, and and it's but it's it's kind of cute how they relate to each other. I mean, and Johnny Weissmuller, he it it's actually probably a blessing in disguise that he is not asked to say much other than me Tarzan, you Jane, or hurt or boy or stuff. You know, he just he, you know he uh, land bank. He you know he doesn't dunk don't he do, he doesn't say much, but most of it is his physicality. It's his um. Is animal relationship? Yeah, we discussed this earlier. The Tarzan, uh, the three Tarzans. Tarzan, the animal guy. Tarzan, the really <laughs> strong. Tarzan, the one that doesn't speak too much. Those are all his aspects. <laughs> that's all him. See, that's the thing is, and that makes him a recognizable icon very much because he has these aspects that he all channels and a recognizable form and facade. Not. Yeah. No, you're right. Facade. You're, you're right. <laughs> You're right. Pretty much you're right. Uh, but <laughs> It's a facade. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so the thing about Tarzan is, in the books, he actually speaks better English. Uh, he learns to speak English and, and learns it quite well, and he's got a good you know, grasp of the English language. Kind of like Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah I mean, from the, from the Frankenstein original novel. Yes. Yeah. Actually, you're right on target. Um, because, But the thing is, though, you're right. That is the relationship between Tarzan and Frankenstein. Is in the book, he has more of a grasp of, of English. So does Tar- so does Tarzan, uh, John Clayton, Lord Greystoke. The same is true of both of them. And how do we think of them today? From the movies, we think yeah. of Boris Karloff going mm, fire bad. Well, he doesn't even say that. He does, like I said, he does say more in the 1935. And in this one, movie. he does also not say me Tarzan, you Jane. He never says that. The scene says, that they're Tarzan, talking about. Jane. Tarzan, Jane, yeah. Yeah, where he's like, he thinks that Jane is you, but then Jane <laughs> is like, no, Jane, Jane, yeah. Jane. And Who's then he's first? like, he, when he finally understands when she points to him, he goes, yeah. Tarzan, 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 Jane, Tarzan, Jane, Tarzan, Jane, Tarzan, Jane. Yeah, and he, and he pushes her as he's saying it. And she's like, okay, I got it now. But that's ahead of the movie, so let's yeah, get back to the movie. But we are, we, are, we are getting excited, and that's perfectly cool. So then right. when the guy says that the guy who's, uh, the African guy who's trying to interpret the map, he says, if you keep going like this, he's going to work him into a juju. Yeah, what, what is juju? Um, it is a supernatural power attributed to a charmer fetish, which is uh, in West Africa. So that is magic. I think they're just using the word juju for, for magic and the fact that it's a foreign word and they can do whatever they want to with it. And it also sounds like nonsense, kind of like cuckoo kind or of a mum- word. Well, that's the, where, that's the where the word mumbo jumbo came from. Did, you, I bet you didn't know that the phrase mumbo jumbo, which means gibberish, is actually kind of making fun of Africans. I did not know this, 
but it it's makes like, sense though. But yeah, they're kind of they're kind of, it's like when it's like uh, the people in North Africa are called. Bur- uh, oh, I, I'm trying to think of what it is. It's like uh, the word barbarian comes from the word barbar, which is like they were they were making fun of the way that people spoke that were uncivilized. Oh, bar, 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 bar. And that's where barbarian came from. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. I know, I know. Anyway, back to... <laughs> so the elephant graveyard. We're all... Yeah, exactly. So uh, they're talking about it. Um, like I was thinking, I mean, if they're getting the el- the ivory from the elephants that are already dead, I mean, it's kind of... It's not awesome that they're doing it. Uh, they are ignoring the tribal... Taboo. Uh, taboo, which a taboo, which is something you don't talk about you don't do just like bruno yes you know okay i mean genesis genesis is planet forbidden i mean you can you cannot go to the elephant graveyard you can't but they talk thought about bruno. that there's like there's so much ivory here and it's all gonna go to waste unless we harvest it yeah exactly because after all it's britain's land after all i mean no, it's no. there was like a time in history when there's a time that like England, France, uh, maybe Ireland or something. Uh, the, Bel- the Belgium. Dutch, definitely Belgium. They all split the country up into they owned parts of the country because... They tried. They tried because they tricked people into, in English, to sign over their land. But they did not know what it said. But they're like, here, we'll sign this. It's not anything bad. It's good. And so they, they tricked them into signing it. So... That was yeah. a, a big part of history. Well, it's about it's 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 a little bit about you know the the civilized versus the savage. The civilized believes that just because he has gunpowder and just because he has you know has certain kinds of he wears more clothes than others that he is more civilized and therefore he's more worthy of of getting whatever he wants to get. And that's that's kind of a privileged mindset. It's funny that. The animals here are treated like that. The land is treated like that. But nowadays, in modern the modern world, we would say, let's leave the animals alone, let them live. Let's just watch them and study them. But let's let's not harm them or stop their way of life. And because after all, these were given to us by God and are definitely going to go extinct if we don't do anything about them. So it, the preservation is A lot of the, these empires, a lot of these empires, you know what the, they thought? Is they had what's called manifest destiny. Is they thought God gave all these lands, these all the lands of the earth to us to, to, to have dominion over. And so what instead of just, you know, uh, having stewardship over the environment, instead of having stewardship over land and, you know, working together with other people who happen to be in the places where you went. No, we're going to take what you got and do it in the name of, of God and country. And they used God as, uh, sorry to say this, get off on a tangent, but they, they used God as an excuse to do whatever they want to do and, you know, pillage and, and destroy. And there's a lot of damage that came from that. And we do see a little bit of, that and, these and there's early, a lot these of people movies. as well that kind of do this as well, like who are villains, but they're all like godly and stuff like uh, Frollo. Frollo, Frollo. Yeah, from Dom. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yes. I think there was, um, what was that DreamWorks movie? It was, um, it wasn't the Sinbad one, it was the other one. Uh, it's, not, it's not El Dorado, no. Oh, yes, El Dorado. Um, I think there's a, the villain in that, or at least one of them is a person who was a span he was actually a spanish dude and he 
was messed up. He just absolutely just addendum mortis all the people. He was also religious. And then there was also one called uh, Wolf Walkers. That oh, one we yeah. watched recently. Yes, that we did. movie is pretty good. It's it's really good. And the character in that is also religious, but is a villain as well, which is fairly interesting. How like the twisted ways of man intersecting with the religion is very complicated. Ownership of nature as well. They see nature as something to be destroyed and conquered rather than understood and adapted to. Anyway, so he we came, get, he saw, he conquered. Came, saw, conquered. Yeah, that's the Vini Vidi Vici, right? So uh, monkey well, see, monkey do. Well, <laughs> now he now he brings it back to monkeys. All right, uh, return to monkey. Return to monkey. All uh, right, re- re- so re- reject the modern world. The steamship, re- yeah, coming into the land. Yes, because um, Jane Parker's on it. And they're like, well, we're just going to go in, get the ivory, get out kind of mission. And uh, Jane, who is obviously called Porter in the book, it's uh, Jane Parker here. And yeah. um, then Harry Holt comes to greet her. But as obviously is a trope with men, always has to fall in love with the girl. It's just well. He thinks he thinks. Uh, here's what he thinks. He thinks. I think subconsciously. He thinks. Well, I'm British. I'm modern. Uh, I'm the only white man you've seen for. Qu- you're gonna see for quite a while. But it's sometimes very tiring to see. It's I've got like, first there's dibs always got to. Yeah, there's got to be the person. Always the person that has to get the girl at the in the movie or attempt to. Thanks and to, like yeah. get all smoochy smoochy all up against her and stuff and I'm just yeah. like well well no it's he he tries he tries his, he tries to make a move on her there's more admirable to, yeah. things yeah and yeah, he's trying to move in and be like it, but she's nice hey girl you kind of you kind you kind of beautiful you know that mm. yeah he and that's like no <laughs> man you uh is this is this if this is your your moves I think I, I don't think we have to worry about so Jane has moved into the area into a house with she just has so many bags they're just big enormous briefcases well not briefcases yeah. they're they're cases that are rectangular extending vertically and just a suitcase <laughs> right it's it's she's she's got as many suitcases as Minecraft has bricks all right so here's what here's what happens she comes in. And, you know, she's bringing all her civilized things there, which, interestingly enough, uh, it shows that she's still got ba- uh, emotional baggage as well from... Uh, from emotional her, from baggage. Baggage from, uh, from civilization. You know, she isn't, she isn't living wild yet. But it's funny that she, she brings all that stuff from civilization, but she says, I want to be a savage. Right? Which is kind of funny because she kind of get up... out of the culture of civilization's norm, where the jungle is more exciting and adventurous. Yes, but it's also it's also dangerous. It's also uh, you don't have you've got to depend on yourself. You've got to depend on you know your your tribe. Uh, you, it's very live or die. You know you could be live one moment, dead the next. And with civilization, there's it's boring, but it's a little more safe. I have to say, but yes. But now they're in Africa, which is a place they don't understand, and so danger, danger is definitely there. 
All right, so um, there's a part where there's a helper that Jane's dad has named Beamish, right? He only shows up for two scenes. I think he only shows up... He, no, he shows up three times. I think one time to either die, uh, one time to, to say, to, to greet her. He greets her, and he's like surprised that she's all grown up. Uh, and he says, Africa's an awful hole. And Jane kind of says, well, yeah, that's that's true. And I'm like, yikes. It's kind of problematic. So a lot there's a lot of problematic stuff in this movie. If you watch this movie with a modern mindset, you're going to notice a lot of sketchy stuff in it. And especially the 1930s is a wholly different culture from the 2000s that we live in now. Even, like, the 1960s was different, but this is, like way more different you think 1970s and 80s is old well wait till you get a, a look at this because i mean when dad was born that's old to him or rather nostalgic because this is childhood but there there's people who like your great grandma lived during then probably so that's like amazing that anyway crazy, we've barely yeah. gotten through this movie I know. Okay, so we are we are chopping through this movie like uh, explorers going through the the jungle. All right. So uh, here's what happens. Another problematic thing you'll see is how, is the help that they have and how they treat them. They call them things like boy, and they call the white men buana, which means master. Which if you kind of think about it through the lens of they're of, hired uh, of men. Slavery. Yeah, they yeah. are kind of slaves and hired men to carry all their bags because they can't carry them themselves because they have so much. Like, why do you need to bring this much stuff unless it's important stuff like food, water, and, I don't know, camping equipment? I mean, there are people who can put stuff on their backs and be... uh, They don't have to have helpers, but, like, they're just like, bring everything, you know? Bring my Lamborghini, too, while you're at it. If there was one, yeah, but... Here's the thing, too, is... They thought themselves higher than the hired. Yeah, it's it's something we're going to see a lot of in a lot of these exploration movies. All right, so here's the thing. Uh, Jane, this is this is pre-Haze Code. So Jane, of course, is, is she is attractive. She was chosen to be Jane based upon a headshot, which is, a, which is a industry speak for a photo that she had um, that they saw. They're like, oh, she's, she's great. She looks great, um, and that's what kind of what they got her on. But she actually, she actually is a good actress, and she is a nice doll of a girl, especially because she is she's like she's adorable. She take, but she starts to, you know, take off her clothes like she's like she's getting into her pajamas or whatever PJs, uh, you know, in front of her dad, and her dad kind of gets embarrassed about it. But of course, she's doing it right in front of the camera. She's like, "Well, you've seen yeah. me as a baby. You've bathed me. You've spanked me. You've done all this stuff, and literally raised me." And, yeah. like, Hey, you wow. know, it, it takes all kinds. I mean, some people are real free with all that. But anyway, the point is that they know that Maureen O'Sullivan is an asset, so to speak. They know that they're going to show her off a little bit. And they do that a little bit more in the next movie, unfortunately. But they do that less and less as the movies go, I will tell but you. But then finishing the scene, she then puts on some cream of makeup, some sort of thing. Uh, she says why she did it is to keep the schoolgirl appearance because she's like. It sounds like she's doing an ad for for Noxzema or something. Anyway, <laughs> what what are you trying to do? Clean my face. Oh, but what's wrong with soap and water? Everything, darling. Let's preserve that schoolgirl complexion. All right. So the, the, after that, this is where we we see the first 
of the uh, the, the trader horn the footage. trader horn stock footage, uh, and you know what? It's absolutely chef's kiss, seamless. I can't tell where the footage from Tarzan begins. You know, the t- the trader horn footage ends. It's just, it's just, it looks like they just, it's seamless. But it's like they're standing in front of the PowerPoint presentation being it projected is, on the yeah. wall, or like a Windows desktop. Right. The footage does not does not really match up. Hopefully, you're not using Windows 11. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're asking they're asking questions, you know, questions about you know the different tribes and stuff. And I, I, you know what? They got the footage. They they need to use it. Might as well. So they start to talk to Jane and kind of give give her an idea about why they're there. He talked about the Mutia escarpment, and she may have to, uh, been told fairy tales by her dad. You know, like when she was little about it. But the key interesting thing here, it does come up later, so it, it's it's a it's a little bit of a good little tidbit, is that an elephant when he's dying, uh, he can tell death is coming for him. And uh, when he hears the call of death, there's a secret place to which he wanders, a place where he can lay his bones with his ancestors' place of rest, the secret graveyard of the elements. Uh, Does I say elements? Oh, no. Elephants. Sorry. Um, (laughs) All right. But it's like, how on earth did the elephants really get there? Um, Yeah. Who knows? It's Um, a difficult place to to get to. Kanai Joe. Yeah, exactly. Where do they come from? Where do they go? So uh, the the trick is with the Mutia escarpment, as it's called, which we're going to hear that a billion times during this movie. How how did they how did they travel to this place? Yeah, don't ask questions. It's an adventure movie. Have have fun with it. It's you know just like Mystery Science Theater tells us to just just a show. You should really just relax. So uh, the Mutia escarpment is sacred and taboo, like we said earlier. If anybody outside of particular tribes ever see it, the witch doctors will actually try to kill them. Certain tribes will actually try to kill them. And it's so valuable an area that they've been like, we're going to pay you so much money. The amount of money that we got from this film to get to this place. And which yeah. they do at the end of the movie. So technically they won their million bucks. Yeah, that's that's useful. So uh, th- there's supposedly a million pounds for the man. He said around a million pounds is for the man who finds it. That's- and so also Jane wasn't going to come until she's like, well, I'll prove my worth. Give me a rifle. Can you shoot? Like an angel. Rihanna, let me have that rifle. And then she gets a rifle and then she th- she throws a hat and then it's, she- it's a Beamish's hat. Beamish's hat, and then she shoots it, which is a, it, it's 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 skill, definitely. Yeah, it's it's very it's very it's very old school kind of uh, techno prisoners kind of new woman that was kind of going around. And nowadays they usually like shoot birds up into the sky, like Mach two or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. In the next the next scene, they are they are traveling. They know that Jane can handle herself, so she's going with them. She is talking with Harry by the fire. And she's really liking hearing all the sounds of the animals and different things. You know, it's kind of kind of scares her a little bit, but she's kind of intrigued. She she loves it. So, um, you know, Harry's trying to make his move on her, and she's being kind of nice to him. She isn't really saying n- no, but she's she's not really giving him any you know any like yeah. You, you know, know, Africa signs. does feel kind of homely. It's wet and stinky and full of bugs and mud and some sticks and roots and probably some poisonous animals and plants that could that poison you and you could probably you could probably die from it although not being deadly just because you don't have any medical attention well they'll be fine so they start hearing some drums and they're coming closer as if a tribe is traveling through the jungle which they are which i thought about it for a second i just was like 
There, there is there like uh, you know one of the tribesmen, and he's got like a snare drum, you know, attached to him, kind of like you know like a like a like a drum line, and he's just you know he's got the two sticks. I'm like, how do they drum and move while they're drumming? I don't know. Well, how do marching bands do it? The exact same way. That's what I was way. thinking. Yeah. All right. So a tribesman, not part of that group though, he runs to the jungle and he's about to pass out. They get him some water and they found out that he has just seen the Mutia escarpment. It's sacred. It's holy. It's not meant to be seen. So he is going to get, you know, X'd out. So uh, a war party from the Ubangi tribe is coming out of the, out of the darkness. Um, but Harry, I guess he's doing it to help the guy, but he covers him over with a sheet and sits on it like he's a couch. Um, but once they kind of t- you know, talk the tribe into leaving, um, they, there's nothing there to see. And it's kind of a tense situation, standoff. Uh, once they do that, they found out the guy's dead. But as James Porter, uh, Mr. Porter, the, the dad, uh, he, he recognizes that the guy had already pointed to the direction where the Mutius garment is. So they go out to this, to the, uh, like a passageway to this garment. It's, it's like on a cliff. It's really But it's dangerous. a very janky cliff because it's probably like some area out back where there's like a drop off to some sand below. A, a, a two foot drop off. A two foot drop off. Yeah. So it's kind of like a trail, but they repurpose it to be a cliff, which is it kind of looks janky and weird. Well, it's an it's an insane drop off, like like. But in the movie, yeah, it is an insane drop off. A dude even falls down it because he's kind of dumb, and Jane also kind of does as well. Well, but they eventually get across. They have to, you know, they have to show that there's danger, and here you'll find this throughout this movie is to show that this is a dangerous situation. They have to kill off somebody. And generally, they have to kill off somebody of color so that the white people will realize it's dangerous. Because they're kind of like like... the red shirts of the movie. But then even still, yeah, they're like, they're like, wow, this dude just died and they're demoralized. And so it's like, you and I'm going to whip you into shape again. Yeah, exactly. And and they're like, oh, poor fella. And they move on. Mans need some whoopings. Yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's rough. I would not want to be working for these people. So they, uh... They finally get through there. Uh, Jane, like you said, Jane almost falls, but she's got a rope attached to her to Harry, so she survives. Um, and the, they have to keep whipping them in to get them to go. They do take a, re- a rest, and they hear an unearthly cry. Of course, you and I, um, you and I both know that's Tarzan's famous yell because we've heard it in other places, even if we've never seen this movie. You know, we know what it sounds like, but. Here, think about think Put yourself in the mindset of people back in 1932. They've never heard this cry before, and they hear it, and they're like, what was that? I mean, just think about it. If you've never heard it before and you hear that sound, you're like, okay. You know, it's got to be confusing and kind of a little bit like exhilarating because you're like, what could that be? Anyway, so they want to forge ahead, uh, but some men don't want to go because they're afraid, and now it's time to whip them again. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm getting tired of that. I would I'd, I'd quit by then. And so then they have to go across the river. Yes, and they defa- they and strangely enough they have to face you know what I would call the most dangerous creature in Africa, which is the hippopotamus. You never know how many are underneath you and they could just with one quick motion. But in you know, truth crush this you. is just, you know, stock footage and mod like model puppetry, not puppetry animatronic. Yeah. Animatronic kind of style, yeah. Things that they're scooting underneath the—they're like shell, a shell of a, of a fake hippo that they're shuttling un, um, underneath the water, probably with swimmers, maybe swimming it underneath. I don't know. So okay, 
So, and a lot of these shots and things like that, I, I would like to talk to you about something, William. They, there were not a lot of zoos back in the 1930s with, like, um, in America with animals like you would see here in Africa. So this was amazing to people. Because it's like we see so many different types of animals, like the, the zebra and the, 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 can, the cantaloupe. Yes, the cantaloupe. We have cantaloupes in the jungle. <laughs> no, it's an, and it's we an also antelope, have, not a cantaloupe. And uh, we also have monkeys of all sorts, and we have hippos and crocodiles and alligators and everything and the whole They've never yards. seen anything like this before, and then they get to see it in this movie. So, I mean, think about how exotic it must have seemed for them. Anyway, so we get we get scenes with crocodiles because people fall off, get knocked off the rafts into the into the water. There's still no Tarzan. Where's Tarzan? Well, he doesn't show up until like 35 minutes into this movie. So, he does come in. The, he does come in. Uh, I remember a, a scene from Jurassic Park where uh, Ian Malcolm uh, played by Jeff Goldblum says, uh, uh, we were promised, uh, dinosaurs on this dinosaur tour. Uh, John, please. That's what I was thinking about. It's like, we were promised Tarzan in this, um, Tarzan movie. But thing is, so, we don't get him for 25 minutes. Goodness. I thought it was like 35. So in short, they get over after facing hippos with guns and some crocodiles as well. A guy gets downed as well. And of course, what color is he? Not Caucasian. He's, he's not Caucasian. Yeah. All right. So, but but the crocodiles look, su- you know, when they're not stockfish, they look super fake because their eyeballs are big and googly. So, um. Anyway, Tarzan's yell then scares off the hippos that were chasing them from out of the water, and um, then the zebra comes, the jungle zebra that's supposed oh, right. to be in a plane. The yes. jungle zebra. You mean you, not the zebra? I guess the, a lot the of savannas. times they didn't think that people would know better and would just go and they for probably an don't. Movie. They probably don't. This was all exotic to them. They don't know what Africa looks like. They don't know what Africans are. They don't know what African languages. They don't know anything. They only know what people uh, made movies of and told them. This is like Mars for them. Yeah. It, it, well, that's why they called the dark the dark continent because it was a place of 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 things that, of mystery, things we didn't know. But the thing is, though. But to the, the people that live there, though, it's their home. It's not a mystery to them. It's only a mystery to, to the white people. And the white people want to solve it by conquering it. Isn't it great? And so then Tarzan comes, right? And yes. then takes Jane? Well, we see uh, apes and monkeys up in the trees. And we see a young, handsome dude in a loincloth swinging around like he's on a trapeze, because he is. Yes, they do the common move that is associated with most trapeze, where there's one dude, Tarzan, and then the ape as well on the other side, and they do a two-person, where the first guy, the, the Tarzan swings, and then he grabs the ape's hands and then swings the rest of the way. It's very it awesome? famous. It is, re- it is really cool. All right, so he's up in the tree, and he won't. he's curious, he won't come down, he won't respond to English. He won't respond to African. He's just there. Now, nearby, we get a hint of the, I wouldn't say enemy. I would say more of an antagonistic group because, I mean, are these white people on their territory? And are the they warrior mad, mad? tribe of little people. They are not pygmies, uh, as as, Jane, as Jane's father um, says they aren't. Um, they are just dwarves, and that's true. They are Mostly Caucasian and but they have blackface and you know they, they have, have black they put face again. they put stuff they they put like a bulbous like head out of like clay or like I don't know hollow or something 
uh, to make their heads look more bulbous and strange as well. So yeah, they look more alien. Yeah, and they and they do uh, they do get some good uh, they do shoot some arrows out and get some guys. So that allows uh, Tarzan then takes Jane away to the ape conclave. All right, so where then he's, they sleep? Yeah, he's he's pretty rough with her though, but he's he's learning. You know, they're they're starting to relate to each other. It's a little tentative at first. He's a little rough because he's he's the he's the kind of you know the ape savage. He's an animal, pretty much. And she's, you know, reacting to that. And he also takes her handkerchief, him and the uh, monkey cheetah as well. They're just destroying it because they don't understand what it is. They're just like, this is worth destroying. This yes, is worthless. It's, it's, yeah, it's a quick little scene. But let's talk about Cheetah for half a second. So Cheetah is played by... Jigs the chimpanzee. Chimpanzee. And Jigs is female. Uh, the reason probably why they did this is because, you know, you don't want you know, a male chimpanzee who's not wearing clothes to, uh, if it's a female. Also, the thing is, uh, I heard from another source that I was listening to that Jiggs did not like Maureen O'Sullivan. Um, it li- it, it, Jiggs liked Johnny Weissmuller better. I guess because the fem- females get a little bit you know, agitated around each other. I don't know what the deal was. But they had to put like a little invisible little wire or rope around Cheetah's uh, or Jigs's foot uh, or, or leg or whatever to keep her away from uh, Marino Sullivan or just to kind of keep her in, in line because she'd get you know, irritated. So that's just a little interesting part of that. Anyway. So there, there's not a lot of, <laughs> there's not a lot of speaking between both of them. The sun starts getting low, and so he's he looks up at it and goes, "Okay, well it's it's time time to go to sleep." So he grabs her and takes her over to his his little jungle house, which basically is just just, just a hollow in the tree. And instead, he goes and sleeps on the branch, kind of like a sacrifice for protection. He drags her in there, and. She kind of struggles and, and shrieks a little bit, but realizes he doesn't really mean her harm, and he does he does sleep outside. So once it's time to get up, a big ape comes over, and he drags her out to meet the ape, and the ape's a little bit rough, though, and he does kind of protect her from the ape. And he, ha- he has kindness in his heart, and this is where you get the the whole scene we talked about. They introduce each other as Jane and Tarzan, Jane Tarzan, Jane Tarzan, Jane Tarzan, Jane Tarzan, Jane Tarzan, Jane Tarzan. Yeah, it's great. It's a, it's, it's definitely a clip that that we should do at some point. And then after which, then Tarzan is like, "You hungry? Food?" And that is me audibly patting my belly. Yes, and then, that, that was good. Then Jane gets confused. She's like, "Let me go, but don't leave me alone." And it's like, make up your mind. Girl. Yeah, exactly. But but honestly, they they are very cute together the way they're relating and they've got good chemistry. All right, so Tarzan is is stalking for wildebeest beef. The classic jungle wildebeest. Hard. Yes. Here's elephants. You get the first look, kind of look at elephants. Of course, they are they are Indian elephants with attachments on their ears to look African. Uh we do Hear the iconic Tarzan yell. He, you see him do it. It's great. Because when he doesn't know what to do, all he does is does it for random reasons, even underwater, because it's so iconic that it's just like, shut up already. It's like saying your catchphrase constantly. It's it is just his catchphrase. Like, kind it of. is his catchphrase. So, okay, so it does multiple things. Have you noticed that it's, it's like, caught- it's like saying, I'm vengeance, I'm vengeance, I'm vengeance, I'm vengeance. It's like, yes, we know, you're vengeance. Ha. Huh. Right. So I was thinking that that's okay. So he calls elephants with it, 
He also can tell hippos to back off. He also can warn different things. He calls the apes, right? So it, it, it does everything. It's multi-purpose. So he calls an Uber, I mean an elephant. Uberfant. And the elephant, the elephant comes, he gets distracted from him because there's an elephant that needs to be that's stuck in a pit and he helps the elephant out of a jam. Oh, I just thought of it. And he can then, of course, later on in the movie, they do the same for him. It's kind of like a we helped you, you help us kind of thing. So right. he gets helped out of a jelly and then gets the <laughs> beef. And then what happens next? Well, he, of course, you get a lion fight. You know, you get some stabbing. It's just it's just a little montage, really. Of, of We're summing it up. Yeah, we are. He does get some steak off the wildebeest and leaves the rest for the lion. You know, Jane is watching a female ape playing with its baby, and that's kind of cool. I mean, it, it, she's getting to understand these people. But then the group finally catches up to her then? Yes, and, and she kind of feels like the pull of civilization that she has to go back to them. And she doesn't want to, but she knows she has to. She, does, she doesn't want to leave Tarzan because he gets this look in his eye, and she's just like, you know, when you look like They're that. They're like, hey, Jane, what are you doing monkeying around over there? And then yeah. Tarzan comes back. They shoot. They shoot his monkey friend, not Cheetah, but the uh, the bigger ape. And then the mother is down, and then they try and shoot Tarzan as well. It's like anything strange, just shoot at it. Tarzan mad, always oh, so mad, and he and he's, he cries out in sadness, and it's like you really feel it. So they they have left, but like a almost like a slasher villain, he starts picking off people of the different people that are that work for the the Parker expedition he starts picking them off one by one and you know Jane has a conversation with her dad and again with that you kind of get the idea that they think he's not he's not human or he or he's that he's strange he's just we got to leave him alone and Jane says you know she she almost like feels a connection with him and and knows that he's he's human right and Holt who didn't have really a chance before? He just trashes his all his chances because he walks up and makes fun of Jane for saying killing the ape was wrong and that it was cruel to Tarzan. He thinks it's funny that anyone considers Tarzan's feelings. He should have blasted him in the face. And Jane says he's being absurd. Okay, so if Harry thought he ever had a chance, he certainly doesn't now. Because it's like I like Tarzan more. He's actually a human. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, he, he's, he's a human, human, but you're not. Sorry, you're you're inhuman. No, that's that's good. It kind of shows that um, the one who is who we, everyone thinks is savage is actually noble, and the one that everyone thinks is noble is actually the savage. Um, it's a little bit of a um, an interplay that maybe we'll when get. something becomes more intelligent than you are, that is true evil. That's kind of explored in Frankenstein, kind of. That's interesting. That is a good point. Thanks Where for making that. Intelligence is related to you know the progression of man, but it's also related to you know the possibility is evils. That's that that's really interesting. It is good, and we're going to see a lot that a lot more. I think with intelligence and evil. And what is savage and what is civilized, especially in, the ne- in our in the next, next episode, movie. yeah, of which covers the story of Doctor Moreau, which is a very classic story by H. H. G. Wells. Yes, alongside um, Frankenstein as well. We'll get. I'm we'll gonna go read that. We're gonna. You can do that. I'll find it for you. We can do a couple. We're gonna do a couple of H. G. Wells uh, adaptations um, in the coming uh, months. Okay, so here we go. 
they uh, they find the bearer or the servant that Tarzan drowned. They found footprints in the mud, and they're like, "It's got to be Tarzan." He, uh, Tarzan kills another bearer fetching firewood. Jane feels like she can convince Tarzan. Only she can convince Tarzan not to kill out everybody and you know the total party kill here. Harry takes the opportunity to shoot Tarzan. He does hit him, and he uh, he's definitely rolling with disadvantage here. A lioness takes advantage of him, chases him up and down a tree. They have a fight. It's actually a decent fight because most of it is fought with the lion and some with a stuffed lion, but not enough. There's enough cutaway where you can kind of blend it and kind of go, okay. Um, Stabs the lion. They're down. The lion husband comes, take advantage of that. We get some two lion fights. It's pretty good, but he is really bleeding out. Tarzan calls for an elephant with the magic yell. Uh, He then faints after conquering the two lions. The elephant sets him up on a riverbank and tries to wake him up with a squirt of water to the face. And the elephant, I I didn't know elephants speak ape, but I guess they do. Um, I don't know, I guess the Disney Tarzan thing was right. Because it's an elephape, obviously. Oh, an elephape. So they call for monkey relatives to come to his aid. They can't do too much. Except what they do is they take uh, Jane like a sack of potatoes and chuck her from ape to ape. And it's it's a pretty funny little scene, I gotta admit. And this is kind of like a thing where it's like, you know that Spider-Man 2 scene with where they carry Spider-Man? That's kind of the thing they're doing except they... Oh, man. <laughs> to lay yeah. him down. So Jane uh, is able to bandage up Tarzan and he, he actually responds. And that's cool. But in the next scene... He acts like ain't nothing wrong. He like he I guess his powers of regeneration are amazing. He is a superhero. So Jane is about to like take a bath in in the river, but probably shouldn't because it's pretty dirty. Although when you see the water, it looks pretty clean to me. So Tarzan's coming through from a tree. He's still got the bandage on, no blood. Um, he does some gymnastics and he's swinging around. And Jane's worried about him like a mom for a child, like he's gonna get dizzy. She's like, oh stop it, Tarzan! You're gonna get dizzy. You're gonna fall down. Uh, he's he you know she's treating him like a like a little kid in a way. Uh, he dives in the river. They have a little bit of time where he's teasing her, dunking her a little bit because he thinks that bank is dunk. She's like, take me to the river bank. He's like, bank? Yes. And he ducks her. Is like, no, I didn't say that. I said bank. And he's like, bank. He's like, yes, dunk. It's like, no. Yeah, it's they're kind of playing around a little bit. This does develop their relationship over the course of the movie. Yeah, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a meet-cute in a way. So you can see where the Disney Tarzan uh, kind of got the idea for this. There's a part where he's, he's kind of tickling her foot, is interested in her foot. And, that's, and they also realize that his hand is just like her hand. Or rather true, different yeah. but similar. So he's like, wow, we're kind of the same, but not really. I'm human. He is less like the apes than he is more like Jane and her people. The first time they meet, there's not a lot of depth to their relationship, but it grows over that. Um, I was wondering if it's kind of a female fantasy of a big, strong, dumb, silent type. So like a silent but deadly strong? Yes. Okay, so we go back to the explorer party, and the men are tired. Maybe they should give him a break, but when they sit down and want to have a break, they don't get it, and and they get whipped. Uh, It just... I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that they, they were, they were, you know, doing the same thing that Amazon does to its employees. <laughs> nah, don't make that joke. No, that's topical and it's true. I'm sorry. I, I really, I, I'm not afraid of Amazon. All right. 
What? All right. All right. It's true. I'll, I'll tell you the details later. So anyway, seeing Commissioner Gordon whip people, and then they happen to be black people, that's not awesome, Commissioner Gordon. So Jane is just chilling, and Tarzan brings some, some fruit, which is nice. She's kind of cool now. She says she's happy, not a bit afraid, not a bit sorry. Tarzan, Jane, hurt me, boy, love it, Jane. Okay, great. That's what Tarzan says. And I'm like, that's a really complex thing you're saying there. And what's funny is in the next scene, they go back to the explorers. Mr. Parker is tired and needs to take a rest. And Harry's like, oh, sure, let's, let's, take, a, let's take a rest. But if black people want to rest, he wants to whip them. It's just, it's kind of... It, it's kind of problematic, but, you know, it's double standard. Yeah, they can't even take all the rest of this stuff because it contains the word rest. Exactly. So soon after that, Jane sees the exploration party again, and she starts putting on her boots like she's got to go. Yeah, she wants to stay in the jungle forever with Tarzan, but then she sees her dad, and she realizes um, that the dream is over, the illusion is fading. Her dad shows up, it's time to go home, I can't play anymore. She's playing at being free away from civilization, but she has no idea what that truly entails, though. She said she can't stay because her dad loves her and, and she's all that he's got, which is kind of interesting toward the end. I'll tell you a bit later. But they, they get reunited, um, and her dad says, you have to let him go. He belongs to the jungle. And she says, he belongs, he belongs to, me. to me. But then, now, we come to the, toward the, the ending sequence. That's because out of the bushes comes the dwarf tribe. So then captured the crew and yes. into their area. Yeah, but Jane sees Cheetah on the bank, and she tells Cheetah to... She's like, go, Tarzan! Seven Tarzan. times. Yeah, it's like, Cheetah, go after Tarzan. Tarzan, go, go after Cheetah. Seven times she says it to him. Yeah, seven times, and then the rooster crows yeah, before we, you will obey me. <laughs> so here's the thing. We, we, have, we, we get to see Cheetah go after Tarzan. In excruciating detail. I'm sorry. I like this movie otherwise, but it has some scenes that probably could be cut short a little bit. Traveling time and Traveling time. Skip it. Right. So what happens is Jane and everybody is is at the Dwarf Tribe's place, and they are having a good old time. They are very excited because they want to feed um, the Parkers and Harry... To a ginormous gorilla. Yes. Maybe the long-lost Kerchak... Kerchak was inspired by. Yeah, but they never say it's Kerchak. I think Kerchak had more. Kerchak is from the Disney Tarzan movies, so I guess. And and also the oh, book. and the book as well. So yes, the book the books are you you would you would really like the books. Uh, I think. And so they're dancing back and forth like and like yes. stuff while they're being sacrificed to the. And ape. while while that's happening, Tarzan is is they're showing Tarzan uh, coming in excruciating detail. They have to show him getting chased by two crocodiles. And he swings upon the trapezes multiple times, showing off his... Uh, yeah, his his amazing prowess. He's getting a, a huge tribe of elephants to, I guess, repay him for helping one of them out of a pit. So what ends up happening is is, is it's almost like the Rancor, they're throwing Luke Skywalker to the Rancor <laughs> in Return, Return of the Jedi. Exactly. Right. And kind of like the thing that also happens in Book of Boba Fett as well. Yeah, so what they end up having to do is they take these ropes and they they attach them to people and then lower them down to the ape. The first couple of people they do it to, though, unfortunately, are the servants. Yes. Which which kind of sucks that they have to like die like red like red shirts to prove that there's a danger. It just sucks. Now, when they get Jane, they do try to to get her down to the ape. 
Uh, Harry jumps in to try to stop that, which is kind of heroic, but he gets chucked against the stone wall, you know, and he's out. The dad jumps down there too, and he has like a torch. The ape throws the dad like like he's throwing a three pointer. He throws him up to the top like a little cliff part. And now, here we go. Now we got Tarzan coming in to the rescue. He leaps down, fights the ape, but the thing is, the ape, the cheetah jumps down there too, and the ape beats cheetah against the ground and chucks cheetah away. Tarzan and the monkey are just having a big old BMW (laughs) and just crushing everyone in their way as they're just fighting and getting all bloody and sweaty. Yeah, Tarzan throws a knife into the ape's eyeball. And then the elephants come in, they smash the village? Yes, the the, the dwarfs in the trees uh, start blowing a horn because the elephants are coming, like a big stampede. They rush in. They're busting everything down. Earlier on we're like, the the elephants are the good guys but the destruction these guys bring is insane. It's like they didn't even do anything. All they did was try and sacrifice some people to their an ape. That's not any terrible. And, well, the thing is, also, here's the thing, too, is there's some scenes where the elephants have javelins stabbed into their back, and they're, like, limping. Uh, I don't think those are... Part of me says, okay, maybe they're trained, and maybe that's how I sleep at night, is I'm able to just think, oh, they're trained to do that. But it's possible that they were hurt to make them do that, you know, which is uh, kind of problematic to watch. So, after... uh, after they escape, you know, escape, smash the whole village out. Uh, Jane's dad has gotten absolutely beaten. Cheetah's absolutely fine. He's okay. Che- Cheetah, Cheetah, you know, he did. He, he, he cheated at life. Right. He he saved. He he did his death saves. He got those. He he just completely popped. He's like you say. Nine lives are for cats. I say nine lives are for monkas. Yeah, exactly. And he only he only came, he came back up with one HP. So he's cool. So the, Papa Parker is on an elephant, and Tarzan and Jane are on an elephant. But the one that the elephant that Papa Parker's on has a javelin in his back, and he's going to die. The, the elephant. So Tarzan pulls the javelin out uh, and says, "You need to get on this other elephant. We need to leave this one here because he's going to die." Papa Parker's going like, "Remember that an elephant when it's died goes to the elephant graveyard." So they figure they'll follow him to the elephant graveyard. So they do make it there, and when they get there, Papa Parker dies. Yes, I guess it's it, it's it's a good thing to die on your mission. You're just like you devoted it so much that it's worth dying for. Well, you already died for it, so well, yes, it is worth. He's dying also for. he's also her last, you know, connection to civilization everyone else is dead there's literally how on earth are you gonna get back well there's no airplane or ship for you so well harry harry holtz is alive so what harry's gonna do he's kind of i guess made his peace with the fact that he's He's probably gonna get a he's probably gonna get a big party come back a second second safari group together yeah and you grab all the elephants and elephant bones and take them yeah and jane says that we will protect the party when it comes back through and as they get to the top of, uh, there's no no music at all, most of this movie, except at the end when they play uh, the theme from Romeo and Juliet, which is kind of sweet. It's kind of on the, on the nose, though. Except neither of them die. Yes, they don't die. This is the last scene. I thought this movie was a, it, it was pretty okay. I mean, it was, it it's was satisfying, okay. and it's, it got what it start. did. It started a big 
enormous Tarzan craze that continued and has still been in the minds of people today. And every time you think of Tarzan, you think of the classic Vice Muller cry. Oh, I thought there was. I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it full on. That's the that's the German dubs Tarzan yeah. cry. <laughs> yeah, some of the other Tarzan cries, though, um, there's a couple of movies or TV shows where they just reuse the Johnny Weissmuller uh, call. And there's other ones that use, like, variations that they did. Now, as a side note, there is uh, the, one, the first actor to play Tarzan was Elmo Lincoln in a silent film. And he be, beats his chest and makes some kind of roar noise, and you don't hear it what it is. Uh, but there is a clip of somebody interviewing uh, Elmo Lincoln later in his life. He said, "Will you do the uh, the, the Tarzan uh, yell for us?" And he goes, "Oh, sure, I will." And he did it, and it just it uh, it. I will play it here. You mean this? Yeah, it does not sound good. it does not sound good or iconic at all. Um, some of the other more modern movies, I think. I think okay, Disney's Tarzan did pretty much the Weissmuller yell uh, with a variation. Well, it was tar. It was the 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 child Tarzan. I'm pretty sure does it a lot more commonly than yeah. Tarzan well, he, the adult he, did. It's cute. It's adorable. But then when, when the Tarzan... The one reason why you watch Tarzan 2 is for the baby Tarzan. Yeah, he's great. But, but the uh, the more modern movies like Greystoke that, that came out in 1984 and then Legend of Tarzan, which I think we'll probably watch, which some people liked and some people didn't. I guess it didn't It didn't make a lot of money. It didn't come out at... Th- but it was decent. Um, there's a part where uh Tarzan do, does do the roar off in the distance and Jane recognizes it and go oh, there he is he can come save save me from this problem it sounds like a gorilla roar and a lion roar mixed roar! and if you th- and so the great the Greystoke one does too and it, it sounds like it's because Tarzan is mimicking a beast noise so i got to admit i haven't read the books in a while but i wonder if that's what his call kind of more sounds like it's his calling card but uh the next movie we're doing is uh the island of lost souls which features uh either bella lugosi or lon cheney jr no no it uh, it has okay i'll tell you it has bella lugosi in a small role and honestly between you and me i think he doesn't need to be in this movie uh it, he doesn't add a ton to it he has some interesting lines for a moment or two but honestly, the the one guy that you really need to watch out for as being a really good actor in this is a man named Charles Lawton. I have a lot to say about him during the production part in our next episode. But Charles Lawton, for the majority of his career, was really knocking it out of the park as an actor. Um, in the later, in his later years, he was kind of phoning it in and doing okay. But uh, you know, and there's some interesting connections that he had to another movie that we will do later down the road. But Charles Lawton played a Dr. Moreau in the next movie because the real title of, of it should have been Island of Dr. Moreau, but Island of Lost Souls sounds creepier. Or that they couldn't, like, use the rights and stuff. Yeah, yeah. well, I'll, I have a lot to say. I'll and then again, yes, that. I haven't heard about this movie at all. It'll be pretty cool to watch it. I'll have some good thoughts about it. But for now, yes. this was a pretty good episode, and we'll uh, see you then. Yep, we will leave a jungle 
where there are man and beasts and savagery and civilization. And, and enter an island. We will enter an island that has a jungle on it that has the interplay between savagery and civilization. So, Well, the only thing that might have a parallel is that jungle, sea, goal. So, well, I mean, that's <laughs> explanatory. <laughs> what? Okay. They both have goals, so whatever. Oh, goals. Oh, funny. All right, so uh, we will leave Tarzan to hang out with his with his new girlfriend, Jane, uh, on top of that rock. And William, Jason, William, Jason, William, Jason, William, Jason, Jason will be back. William, Jason, William. For another episode next week. That was kind of a chest beating. <laughs> we'll leave you with that. Have a, have a good one, and we'll see you next episode. Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast ending transmission now